Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. Every single person is born with greatness inside of them. Nearly 8 billion people around the world, and each is born with a hunger for significance, to make an impact, to live a life with a deep sense of purpose and meaning and joy. And this isn't on accident. We're designed like this. Our greatest fear isn't that we're inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we have limitless potential, but we don't have what it takes to experience it. See, every day you wake up with a mountain of potential in front of you, but you're also faced with the constant temptation to shrink back, play it safe, set up camp, and call it quits. But every time you do, you're left with a soul-echoing question for your life. Is this all? I believe your God-given story is too important to sit back on. I believe it's time to dream again. I believe it's time to stop shrinking back. I believe it's time to stop playing it safe. I believe it's time to get your confidence back, get your passion back. I believe it's time for you to take your mountain. I believe it. But the question is, do you? We're in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, here at the Snake River in Keystone. It's a really special trail for me. It is a place where God met me in a really profound way. And one of the things that I love about this story is this wasn't just a story from way back when or decades ago. This was a story from two months ago. And I just want to start by saying this, that if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ and you still have breath in your lungs, the good news is God is still writing a story of your life and that's your testimony. My story really picked up about a year ago. My whole life, I've kind of had this natural passion, natural enthusiasm, this optimism about the future and what God could do through my life and through my community. And about a year ago, that all changed. Next thing I knew, I kind of found myself in this rhythm where I felt lethargic, depressed, my passion was gone, my joy was next to non-existent, and I found myself in this state of like lethargy, just feeling hopeless, wondering what the heck was going on with my life. Once I hit this kind of stage of burnout and exhaustion, I ended up meeting with a counselor friend of mine, a, a, a close friend and confidant, and he sat me down 
I had bags under my eyes. I was exhausted, burnt out, and done. And I sat with him sharing the story of what was happening inside my own heart. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, Ronnie, I want you to know that burnout and exhaustion isn't remedied by a quick vacation or a nap or some rest. It's the most common misconception. He said, the remedy for burnout is wholeheartedness. And I've never been able to shake that since. He asked me two follow-up questions and it's really questions that I wanna pose to you. He asked me two questions. He said, Ronnie, does God have your whole heart right now? And the second question that he asked is, do the things that you do in your life for work, for pleasure, for fun, do those have your whole heart? Meaning, is that the place where your natural passion and zeal for life flows from? Or is your work actually pulling passion from you, pulling the, the zeal and, and, and the excitement from your heart? Is it depleting you and draining you to the point of exhaustion? It's a brilliant question. Question that I'd never really considered before. I'd never thought of wholeheartedness as being the remedy for the exhaustion that I was feeling inside. So I ended up coming up here to Keystone, Colorado. I got away to seek out those two questions. Does God really have my whole heart? And does the work and the activities of my life flow freely from my passions? So what I ended up doing is I came out here to Snake River every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. And I'd walk this trail asking God these questions. God, do you have my whole heart? It's an interesting question because I think it's so easy to slip into the routines of life where so many other things preoccupy our brains, our minds, our agendas, they suck our passion and what little left that we have, we give to God. And I think he's pleased with that, to be perfectly honest. I don't think God's frustrated with that, but what lacks from that is we kind of eliminate God being able to use us and work in our place of natural passion, natural giftings, things that ultimately He hardwired us from the days that He created us to live out and to breathe forth in our life. So I started asking God the question, God, do you have my whole heart? But the better question and the place where I really found a lot of significance here on this path was, God, what are the things that you have naturally wired me and gifted me to do? What are the things that provoke this natural passion from my life, this excitement and this joy that flows freely? What are the things that you gave me, you hardwired me to do that I was born to do with my life? I think those two questions are some of the most significant questions that you could ask. So every day I came to this trail asking a very specific question. And I think it's a question that's worth all of us considering. In light of the God-sized dreams and the plans and the natural gifting and the wiring that He's placed inside of all of us, how do we get our passion back? Like, how do we get the natural energy that is designed to compel us into the God-sized dreams that He's given to us? How do we live life full of zeal and passion and purpose and joy? That's the million dollar question. There's a proverb in Proverbs chapter four that says this, it says, guard your heart because from it flows all of the vital issues of life. Literally meaning that the very vital things that compel us to live the God-sized dreams out in our life, it flows from the natural longings and the desires of our own heart. And so the question is, how do we get to a place where we're guarding this heart? 
How do we get to this place where we're guarding our passions? How do we get our passion back? Because here's the thing, passion doesn't flow from our life naturally. It needs to be stewarded. And the question for us is how do we steward our hearts to a place where passion flows freely? See, my whole life it's felt like passion has been this natural outflowing from my life. But that's not necessarily true. You see, I've always felt like the God-sized dreams in my heart have been like this mountain that is beautiful and majestic and frightening and exhausting all at the same time. And my goal is to walk with Jesus to summit that hill, to live a life that is truly extraordinary, to live a life where the glory of God shines so brightly from my life that the world takes notice of God inside of me. So over time, what I started to realize is it started to feel a little bit like I was taking camp on the side of that mountain. But what God showed me in this place and in this space was how to get my passion back. Because I believe what's true for each and every single one of us is it's time to get our passion back. There's too much at stake. God's plans for you are too big and you can't muster it up on your own. So I want to share a story with you today a story about a man who lived wholeheartedly and saw his dreams, his passions, and his desires come to fruition. My question for you today is this, are you ready to get your passion back? Come on, Red Rocks Church, are you ready to get your passion back? I mean, are you really ready to get your passion back? Come on, I'm excited today. I feel compelled on the deepest parts of me to share this message because I think there's some people in these rooms watching online that have such a significant call upon their lives, and that's appropriate and true for every follower of Jesus, that if you lose your passion along the way, any opposition in your life will give you the notion that it's time to set up camp. It's time to play it safe. It's time to call it quits, and your call on your life is far too significant for you to do so. There are people waiting for you to live out your call. There are people waiting to look at a church that's full of passion, because we have the true source of passion. So I want to talk to you today about what it looks like to live life with your whole heart. And I think there's two facets to that. Number one, does God have your whole heart? And number two, do the things that you do in, in, throughout your day have your whole heart? Is it the place of passion that God has naturally wired you and designed you and gifted you to carry forth? There, there are million-dollar questions that I think we need to consider today because I know this to be true, that there is a world that is starving for significance. They're starving to find where true passion lies. And the wealthiest people in this life won't be the people that accumulate the most amount of resources, the greatest possessions, or have the most significant places of authority. It's going to be the people who understand that the wealth of their life is what they give to enrich the lives of other people. And that's the message and the call and the purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ. So I want to look today at a story in, the, in scriptures that talks about a man who lived life wholehearted. Everybody say wholehearted. wholehearted. And it's inspiring to me because it, it really characterizes what it looks like to, to take the hill, 
to, to seize the moments that God has designed you to stand in. It talks about a, a man who is willing in the face of opposition to say yes to the promises of God. I don't know about you, but that's the life that I want to have. I want to breathe my last breath and have people say he clung to the promises of God. And in Numbers 13, it, it, it starts this story. And just to give you some context, Moses is standing there with 12 of his leaders, 12 leaders over the, 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 the different um, um, tribes of Israel. And he's going to commission them to go and take a look at this promised land that God had given to them. God said, I want to give this land to you after their exile. And so he said, I want you to send these men out. I want you to assess the land. So Moses gets his, his 12 leaders and he begins to send them out on this assignment. And, and here's where it picks up. The, the men come back with their reports. And in Numbers 13, 27, it says this, this was their report to Moses. It says, we entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country. Everybody say bountiful country. Bountiful. A land that is flowing with milk and honey. And it says, here is the kind of fruit it produces. And the, the Bible actually gives an account of the type of fruit that they brought back. They brought back these large pomegranates and, and these grapes that were the biggest that they had ever seen. And they brought back one cluster of grapes that required two men to carry it on one pole. Like this is grapes like you haven't seen before. This is Texas big. And they bring it back. They said, this is the kind of produce that it's producing. But then something happens that's really interesting. They receive this promise from God that God is going to give them this land. Give it to them. And then look what it says in the next verse. Verse 28 says, but. Everybody say, but. but. Just because it's fun to say in church. But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. Ain't no way we're getting in. Since we even saw giants there, like talk about compound uh, effects to, to them wanting to seize this land. They're like, listen, it's not only just fortified and the people are powerful, but they're also giants. Says the, defend, the descendants of Anak. But listen, I want you to take notice of verse 28 because it's gonna share with us something really significant about fulfilling and reaching and grasping the dreams of, of your heart, the things that God's placed inside of you from the time that you were born. This, verse 28, is the mentality of people that will never step into the promises of God for their life. It's a weak mentality. Because here they are looking at their situation going, listen, God, I know that you promised us this, but the people there are powerful. If you, if you want to try to walk into the God-sized dreams of your heart, try measuring up the significance and the power of your opposition against you, and every time you'll be tempted to throw in the towel. If you look at the opposition and the challenges that are placed in front of you, and you measure it against what you can do, Come on, that's a recipe for disaster. That's a recipe for you to give up on the God dreams of your heart. God had given them a promise saying that he would give it to them so that they wouldn't measure their opposition against themselves, but measure their opposition against their God. Come on, somebody. This is the hope that we have. You are not the byproduct of your own strength. You are the byproduct of the strength of your God. 
And in Numbers chapter 13, it carries on, and there's another but. And it says this, Numbers 13 verse 30 says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And he rallies the people and he says, let's go at once to take the land. Come on, that's urgency. That's passion. That's somebody who puts their faith and trust in the promise of God. He says, let's go at once and take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. Somebody say, certainly Come on, I want you to leave this weekend having a certainty that you are capable to to seize the day, conquer the hill, take on the challenge, walk in the promises and the calling that God has for your life. you got to have some certainty, wholeheartedness to fulfill what God has for you. He says we can certainly conquer it. Verse 31 says, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. The other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. Isn't it interesting how two different people can look at the same thing, experience the same thing, get the same report, but come to a different conclusion in their mind? One is optimistic and the other is defeated. Isn't it interesting how two different people can look at the same challenge and come up with a different outcome in their minds? Friends, your mind is significant because it's going to help you project either a hope or despair. One had a strong mentality. I like to call it a bulldog mentality, a juggernaut mentality, somebody that didn't back down in the face of opposition. The other had a weak mentality. And friends, they're going to pay a high price for a weak mentality. They're going to pay a high price for backing down. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. They said, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Friends, you want to have a bulldog mentality to conquer some amazing things with your life. I promise you, the more faith that you can have in God the more resilience and passion you can have in the face of any opposition that presents itself in front of you. But what's amazing is the Bible says that God was taking account of all that they were saying. They're deliberating back and forth. We can do it. We can't do it. They're so strong. They're going to crush us. No, we can do it. God's on our side. And they're deliberating back and forth. And the Bible says that the heart of God, watching his people respond to his promise and backing down on opposition, grieved the heart of God. Can I tell you, God is so committed to fulfilling his promises in your life that his heart is grieved when you don't. He's not apprehensively extending his promise to you. He's not wanting you to tough your way through this and then apprehensively giving you the blessing. It grieves his heart when you don't. So the Bible says that God's looking at them. His heart is grieved because he wants them to experience the promise. See, when I read this story, at first glance, it's really easy to criticize them, right? Like we can fast forward to the end of the chapter, the end of the story, when God comes through and God does the miracle. And it's easy to criticize them going like, why didn't they trust God? Darn it. He gave them a promise. Like it's God. He had just delivered them from Egypt with plagues. He, he, like he, he, he's provided for them every step of the way through some of the most miraculous things human eyes have ever seen in history. They just watched that happen. 
And here God goes, I promise you, I will give you this land. And they went, nah. Easy to criticize, easy to chuckle at, easy to point the finger. But friends, did you know that there are nearly 7,500 promises that God has given to mankind through his scriptures? And I wonder, how many of them do we cling to? Because the, the Israelite people are just a depiction of God's people. If, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ in here today, say, I. These promises are for you. Israel is a depiction of God's people. And so as we're watching them not live out the promises of God for their life, he's going, take note. Not only did I give them one promise, I've given you almost 7,500 promises for you to anchor your life on, to have a juggernaut mentality, a bulldog mentality that in the face of opposition, my church will stand on my promises in every promise of God is yes and amen. So what's the difference between people that walk out God-sized dreams and people that don't? Because if you wanna do some studies, read up on Caleb. He didn't come from a spectacular pedigree. He wasn't trained well. If anything, he stuck out like a sore thumb amongst the rest of them because he didn't measure up to the other caliber of leaders. So it wasn't necessarily his pedigree that differentiated him, that gave him a deep resolve. Friends, it was his ability to hear a promise of God and cling to it as his own. I wanna tell you today that your success, the significance of your life will be contingent upon your ability to cling to God's promises for your life. And this was the dichotomy that they found themselves living between. Do we trust God's promise and take him at his word? Or do we shrink back because the opposition looks too great? So listen to what God says in spite of the people who couldn't cling to his promise. Numbers 14 verse 23 says, not one of them will ever see the land I have promised on oath to their ancestors. Friends, I want you to hear this. What kept them from walking into the promise was their ability to hang on God's words and trust them. He says, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And I'm reading this going, like, God, come on, contempt, throw them a bone here. Like, they've been through a lot. Contempt? Friends, when you don't receive and walk in and believe in the promises of God for your life, God sees it as contempt. He's going, I'm going to come through on every promise I've given to you. And when you don't do that, you're calling me a liar. I wonder how many times in the face of opposition in your marriage, in your business, in your family, in your own walk with God, that you've looked at an outcome and you've shrunk back because you just couldn't believe what he said he would do. But in verse 24, watch what God does for the one man. Everybody say, one man. Verse 24 says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. Come on, somebody. What's it say? He has a different spirit. And watch this. And he follows me what? Wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his 
descendants will inherit it. Two different people, two different, two different groups of people, two different spirits by which they operated by. Two different people. One was wholehearted. One was apprehensive. They kind of trust God. They kind of believed what he said he would do. There's two different types of people. One received the promise. One received the punishment. The only thing that differentiated them was the person who clung to the promise as his own. He received the promise. Friends, can I just let you exhale for a second? Cling to the promise of God and he'll give it to you. I'm going to say it again. Cling to the promise of God and he will give it to you. There's 7,500 of them. Cling to some of them. Make them your own. Put your trust in them. And so what God did as a byproduct of people's apprehensive, lackluster faith in him is he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Talk about a bad discipline. Talk about missing out. Some of us get angsty and anxious when we miss out on something for a week or 45 minutes. Try 40 years. 40 years that they wandered. And I want to fast forward for the sake of time to 45 years later. And in the book of Joshua, in the 14th chapter, in the 6th verse, we get an account of what happens 45 years. Years later, it says, now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, say that 10 times fast. The Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. It's Joshua speaking to Caleb. Verse seven, it says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought back to him a report according to my convictions, according to my beliefs, according to what I held to be true. That was the report that I brought back. Verse eight says, but my fellow Israelites who went up there with me, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. But he says, I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day that Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will your inheritance, will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Everybody say forever. How many of you know the plans that God has for your life are gonna affect the next generation? The things that you reap, your children and your children's children will live in. The things that you, you decide not to reap, your children are going to miss out on this. This isn't just about you. It's about what others are going to gain from a person who puts their trust in the promises of God. And then he says this, because you have followed the Lord, my God, what? Wholeheartedly, meaning with all your heart, you clung to that promise because of that. You're going to receive the promise. Now, verse 10, Caleb starts speaking. He says, now then, just as the Lord had promised. Talk about a full circle moment. Talk about waiting. Talk about persevering through pain, through long seasons. 45 years later, he goes, just as the Lord had promised. He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses. 
While Israel moved about the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. And verse 11 says, I'm still as strong today as the day that Moses sent me out. Come on, somebody. That's passion. That's somebody who didn't give up. That's somebody with resilience. 45 years later, at the ripe age of 85, he's going, I still got it. He said, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. And watch this. I'm just as vigorous, meaning, and I haven't lost my passion. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country. The King James Version says, now give me this mountain. Come on, somebody, this is the picture of the life I want to live. I want to be 85 years old, pushing people in passion. I want to be challenging people's faith. I want to be testing people's endurance. At the ripe age of 85, I want to say I'm still as strong as I was when I was 40. I'm still ready for a battle. I still got it in me. So give me this mountain, he says. Give me this mountain that the Lord promised to me that day. Everybody say that day. Because when God makes his promise to you, it is true until the day that he gives it to you, which gives us a faith for perseverance. It gives us a faith to endure. I wonder, do you have a faith that perseveres? Do you have that kind of a faith that endures? And then he says this, you yourself have heard then that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified, but watch this, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. Notice that the precursor for him living in the promise was the Lord will help me. The Lord will help me. I want to speak to some CEOs this weekend that walk into the office going, the Lord will help me. I want to speak to some moms and some dads raising kids, stepping into their home environment that feels crazy and they feel incapable going, the Lord will help me. I want to speak to some people with some diagnoses that are, are, are haunting you right now. I want to tell you that the Lord will help you. I want to tell you in the face of your debt, the Lord will help deliver you. The insecurities that combat your mind, the pain from decades ago, years ago, the Lord will help you. He's going to help you. It's the crux of his promise is that he's going to help you. What do you need help with to endure? What's making you want to quit right now that you need a little help enduring? Can I just tell you, the Lord will help you just as he has said. Friends, the only reason that Caleb got a chance to go seize the moment, live the dream, walk in the promise is that he realized who was making the promise. And I don't know about you, but I want to have such a passion for the promise that God made available to me that I just don't quit. Can I just tell someone who needs to hear this, please don't quit. I'm facing challenges right now that my kids are going to reap the benefit of a dad that didn't quit. Yeah. 
One of the things that frustrates me about scripture, everybody ever been frustrated by scripture? Like you're like, you didn't really give me the whole story. You didn't give me everything. Like what were the daily disciplines of Caleb to keep his resolve? How did he have a juggernaut mentality to push through opposition, to wait and patiently wait for the promise to be fulfilled? How did he do it? Anybody want to know? How did he do it? The Bible is really clear and it gives us some, some benchmarks. It gives us some mile markers so that we can keep our endurance, keep our faith, keep our passion to, until we receive the promise that God has made to us. And I, I want to take a quick moment because I believe that some of the promises that God has made for each person that calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to cling to those promises so desperately because the call that God has on your life is so significant that if you choose not to, if you choose to throw in the towel, there are going to be countless people that never get to reap the benefit of knowing somebody walking in the promises of God. So I want to take you to one more vantage point, a place near and dear to my heart, the place where I spend most of my time battling it out with God and battling it out with my own mind, heart, and agenda. And so I want to encourage you as we hear this, cling to this, but I want to show you how I do this. So take a look at the screens. Hey, for this second vantage point, I want to invite you to my house because this is the place for me where most of the battles are won and lost in my own mind and in my heart. It's kind of where I position myself to take on the challenges of the day and take on the big God-sized dreams that are in my heart. And so I wanted to bring you in to my house and just walk you through part of my routine. Uh, every morning I do a couple things to just position myself to say yes to the opportunities that God gives to me. So for me personally, I like to start my day by waking up before the sun wakes up. It gives me that kind of extra advantage to feel like I'm starting my day before my day actually starts. And I do something interesting. I take a freezing cold shower. And the reason that I do this is it wakes up every fiber of my being. My brain is the most awake after this. It like sets my body into shock. And the reason is, is because what I'm about to do after that is the most significant part of my day. I'm about to spend some time with God and do kind of three key things that position me to say yes to God. I want to be fully alive, fully awake, and fully present. The next thing I do is I grab a cup of coffee because I'm slightly addicted. And I sit down on this couch and then I go through three things. And it really only takes me about 15 minutes, sometimes longer. It doesn't take a long time. But the first thing that I do is I start with gratitude. And when I say gratitude, I, I, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Gratitude isn't just a thought, but it's actually an emotion. It's something that involves the whole soul. So when I sit down to experience gratitude, I want to try to engage my own heart and my own emotions into this experiment. And one of the things that I think is really important is if I'm going to be a visionary person, if I'm going to be a dreamer, the problem is if I don't have gratitude in my heart, a visionary and a dreamer that lacks gratitude quickly turns to criticism, cynicism. They can easily get that feeling that the grass is always greener somewhere else that the opportunities that somebody else has through my comparison is so much greater than what I have. So I wanna position myself to feel gratitude. And here's what I do. I don't just say, God, I'm grateful for my kids and move on. 
I want to experience the emotion of gratitude that I feel towards my kids. So what I do is I provoke memories of fondness. I think about the times when I walk through the door after work and my kids come running to me and they grab hold of my legs and they yell, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And it provokes this feeling, this emotion of gratitude in my own heart. I want to feel that emotion. And I take that through all the areas of gratitude, things that I can be thankful for. I'm proactively thinking, what could I be grateful for today? Because a dreamer with gratitude is dangerous. So start with gratitude. The second thing that I do is I start to pray for about five minutes or so for my family and my friends, the people that I work with, people that are in need that I know are going through hard times. And the reason that I do this is because I never want to conceive or, or, or get the wrong interpretation that my success in this life is going to be about me and what I attain. True wealth in this life is about what we give away to others. So the first thing that I do in my morning, I want to position myself to think about others. True wealth is how I enrich the lives of other people. And so I want to start by thinking through all the people that are near and dear to my life, and I want to pray for them. I want to pray specific prayers, prayers of God's blessing, because I'm going to probably encounter most of those people throughout this day. And I want to approach them knowing they've been thought of and prayed for even before the sun came up. So I, I, the second thing I do is I pray for my friends and my family. The third thing that I do is I go through this exercise of making declarations over my life. And these aren't just like happy, clappy, name it, claim it, positive speech, which I think some of those things have a lot of value. But for me, these declarations are really, really important. It positions my heart for faith. What I want to be able to do is leave my house that day for whatever God might have on my agenda or I might have put on my agenda. And I want my heart to be full of faith. So I make declarations that are based on God's word that are going to fire up and supercharge my heart. Give me crazy juggernaut bulldog style confidence to attack any obstacle, any challenge and every opportunity that God puts in my way. So what I've done if you don't know the, the promises of God, this is what I go through. You can easily just go to Google and type in promises of God in the Bible. Go through them and read those verses. And what I want you to do is take those verses and make them personal affirmations and declarations for your life. So for me, I just go through, I don't have a list, but I just go through out of the abundance of my heart and I say, God, today I am going to be favored for every opportunity. You are gonna open up doors of tremendous opportunity that no one could have ever opened up for me. God, today you're gonna give me wisdom in every circumstance that I lack and you're gonna give it to me generously without finding fault in me. God, today I have infinite possibilities because not only am I a, a child of God, but God is for me. And if God is for me, then who could be against me? And I just begin to reiterate all of the promises of God just from my own heart. Um, and I, I just declare that. And what it does for me is it fires me up to realize I'm a son of God. I am called, anointed, and set apart. In this life, I am just like Jesus. And God has equipped me and gifted me and called me to seize every opportunity in my life. I start with those three exercises. And really what it does is it positions me to leave my house feeling supercharged. My passion is through the roof and I'm expecting for God to move in my life. I wanna encourage you, try to incorporate those three things into your life. Put it into a daily rhythm 
and watch how the passion of your life is naturally provoked, not through just whimsical or magical or mysterious methods, but just really practical methods that are rooted in God's Word. Watch as it stirs your faith and builds your passion for every single thing that God has in store for you that day. Try it and see what God does. Would you stand to your feet if you're able at all of our locations? If you wanna get your passion back, you wanna sustain your passion, I wanna encourage you, try these three things. They're rooted in scripture. And I wanna just give you an affirmation today that you can take with you, you can take a picture of it, you can write it down, you can rewatch this message later, but there's three keys to sustaining passion. And I wanna give you this mantra that I abide by throughout the days and the struggles of my life. And it's this, my passion, everybody say my passion will be grounded in gratitude. It's gonna be focused on people and it's gonna be sustained by God's promises. Now, I want to do something interesting. I want us to engage our whole selves in this, and I want you to say this declaration over your own life today, so read this with me. My passion will be grounded in gratitude, focused on people, and sustained by God's promises. If you want to have a juggernaut-style faith in your life, if you want to do the incredible, do the miraculous, you got to have an understanding of how passion works in your life. you got to know how to stoke the flame of your heart because it's too valuable. You have to fulfill the plans and the dreams and the call that God has on your life. There are people's lives at stake. Your call is significant. It matters greatly to God. It grieves his heart when you don't step in it. Friends, some of you have discounted the call of God upon your life because of things that have happened to you in the past, situations you find yourself in right now. Can I just declare to you that because of Jesus Christ, he's made the old things new. He's made the dead things come to life. He's taken every moment of shame, every shortcoming of your life, and he says, I'll make you new. I'll clean you. I'll forgive you. And this isn't a work of your own. God says, I make a promise to do this for you. I make a promise to save you when you need saving. I make a promise to heal you when you need healing. I make a promise to deliver you when you feel stuck. These are the promises of God. It liberates the human soul. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the first step in you walking in your purpose is to know the person who gave it to you. You got to be reconciled back to God, friend. Otherwise, you'll have this soul echoing question throughout the entirety of your life going, Is this all? Is this it? Am I ever going to do anything that feels like it matters? And God's going, Yes, but step number one is to come back to me. So I want to pray for you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, it's simple. The Bible says that for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they'd have an eternal quality of life. God's standard of living. If you want to have that, you want to be forgiven of your sins. You want to have an eternal overflowing quality to your life. I want to encourage you. The only way that you can do that is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and the savior of your life. If you've never done that, I want to ask that we bow every head. 
God, I pray right now for every single person that you're calling back home. God, they can feel it on the inside. You're calling them. They can feel it on the inside that you want to heal them. They can feel it on the inside. They were born for something great. God, they can feel it on the inside. They've been absent from the Father. God, I pray for every single person who needs to make you Lord of their life. Would you stir within them? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of freedom. If you're in here at one of our locations or watching online and you say, I want to make this decision today, I just want to ask you with every head bowed, would you just slip up your hand in this place and just go, that's me. That is me. Come on, Arvada, Lakewood, Park Meadows, Littleton, Brussels, Belgium, God Behind Bars, Austin, Texas. Lifts them up. Lifts them up. God, I thank you for every single person that's making this decision. You say that all of the angels in heaven are erupting with praise for the one who is delivering the people that matter most to him. God, I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for your freedom. God, I thank you that you make old things become new again, dead things become alive again. And so God, I just pray that you would seal this promise that what you began in our lives, God, you will see through to completion, bring it to completion, God. And I pray today as a mark of the spirit, God, would you erupt dreams and callings in people's lives, maybe for the first time today. Jesus, we celebrate this moment of people turning from their own ways to the Father. Come on. And I want to wrap up today, but I want to leave all of our church family with a charge. Your call is too great. You need to feel it. You are significant. You were born on purpose, for a purpose, and not meant to do this alone. But the Father says, I'll go with you. I'll deliver you. I'll, I'll impart power to you. I'll give you wisdom when you lack it. That's the, the plans and the promises of God for your life. But I just wonder, I believe it so deeply. Can you believe it? Do you believe that God's promises are for you? For you to change the marketplace, for you to change a family, for you to change a history, for you to change generational baggage that your family has lived out. Could you break it for your kids and your kids' kids or for your community? There's too much at stake. It's time for you to take your mountain. It's time for you to get your passion back. It's time for you to get your faith back. God, I declare today you are awakening fresh dreams, fresh passions, fresh destiny. God, you're setting souls on fire and you've given us everything we need to sustain it. You've given us everything we need to keep going. Just don't quit. Just don't give up. There's too much at stake. It's time, Red Rocks Church, that we take our mountain. It's time we get our passion back. It's time that we anchor ourselves on the promises of God. Come on, somebody, lift up a shout of praise for a God who is good on his promises.